Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you. Pastor Brown from Akron Alliance Fellowship, hoping that you've had a wonderful week. Sometime our weeks can be trying, but uh, God always gives us the victory if we just depend and trust in him. Uh, the victory is secure in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we walk in such a way that allows others to know that there's nothing here that we have to be fearful of or will defeat us. We are a people who are victorious in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're learning that more and more every day. And we're learning how to allow our souls to rest in him. That we don't get excited about the different things of life. Sometimes it's age that has to take place, but it's there, and it comes slowly, that we don't worry and we don't fret and we don't trouble ourselves about the things of this world because we understand that we can't change anything and that our Lord is in control of everything. And sometimes that can be troublesome to us. We can't change anything, but yet God is in control of everything. And all we have to do is learn to wait upon him and be patient. And in his time, he will do something. And whatever he does, it will be for our good and it will be the best thing for us. So let's pray and let's just give it to the Lord and even this message. We want to learn how to rest in him. Peter says there are those things that we find ourselves fighting against. In 1 Peter 2.11 And uh, those things that we sometimes really desire and want, they go against our soul. And our soul has to learn to rest in him. So let's pray and we're going to get into his word and, and just ask the Lord to teach us. Father, we do thank you and praise you that in thee, O oh God, we can place all of our hope. All of our tomorrows are in thee. And that, Lord, you're the one who guides us through each and every day. No matter what may come our way, you have already strengthened us, O oh God, that we may be able to overcome that and we might live victorious lives in such a manner that it glorifies you. So, Lord, uh, would you be the one who refresh us, who will renew us, and would you teach us, Lord, from your word? That which is important for us to know of how to allow our souls to rest in thee. To rest, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you right now for how you're going to speak to us. How you're going to teach us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked a little bit about Isaiah chapter 5. Basically in the area of verse 20. Where 
we cause a lot of our own confusion and deception. And we wind up lying to ourselves because we will not face the truth. And oftentimes we forget it's the truth that sets us free from our past, from our fears, from a lot of things that we deal with. If we deal with them in truth, we will find an answer and we will find a way out. But oftentimes in life, we want to deny, deny, deny. And we want to turn things around our way. There's nothing that you and I can do to change anybody's life other than live this life that Christ has given unto us and that they might see it as an example and desire to live it also. And their life will be a little different than someone else's life because God is perfecting each and every one of us and he has a plan and a purpose for all of us that is not the exact same plan, but they can run pretty close sometime. But we understand that God wants to do something in us that is unique. And Satan wants to stop that. And one of the ways that he stops that is keeping us from trusting God and learning to rest in him. He gets us off the right track and gets us on the wrong track. And we begin to do exactly what Isaiah chapter 5, 20 tells us in a sense not to do. And that is to begin to call good evil and evil good. And in our culture, as we talked a little bit last week, we are doing that today. That which we know is wrong, we're saying it's good. We're saying it's okay. We're saying it's right. Especially when it comes to two people and their relationship, when it comes to family. Had a young lady speak to me this week, and uh, she was sharing with Elaine and I that her and her girlfriend, woman's friend, whatever, had been together for two years, and, and now she wants to have a child. Well, God never meant for two women to have children. If that was the case, he would have made it so. But we're saying that's okay. We're saying that's fine. We're saying that's what they want to do. And we're not willing to call it evil or wrong from what God has ordained. And um, we need to understand so many things in this culture, in this time in which we're living, that we're calling good is really wrong in God's eyesight. Is really wrong according to the word of God. And I know today a lot of people scoff or as soon as you say the Bible says, they don't want to hear it. But the word does tell us, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light. And he uses that illustration because anybody who looks at day and night know Day cannot be night. Just can't be. You can't change it. And 
you cannot make the daytime nighttime nor nighttime daytime. You can't change it. And we're trying to change things by deceiving ourselves, lying to ourselves, and saying it's good when it's really evil. And that thing will destroy us. That thing will hurt us. That thing will scar us for life. And he says there that there are people who will do that. Those who call evil good and good evil. And we have to recognize that you cannot change God's word. You cannot change certain things. And yet we're trying with all our might to change it. And for the Christian who somehow gets up and gets involved in these things and somehow think for a moment that they're siding with the world, they're living the way the world would have them to live, they're saying this is okay, this is fine, and you'll find many churches and many so-called Christians today that are saying certain type of lifestyles are okay. And they're not. There's only one lifestyle. A man and a woman, husband and a wife. Either single or married. Nothing else. And marriage is only between a man and a woman. Nothing else. But we get scarred and we get torn, even with the sex thing that a lot of young people say it's okay to have sex because you care for this person or you love this person. That's not the reason that you have sex. Hopefully that you are in love enough that you're willing to go all the way and commit to one another. And you're willing to be married. And in that marriage, you allow yourself that freedom to have sex with no guilt or shame. And what happens, as I shared a little bit last week, God made us men and women. And we move in the order of which he has ordained. And that is the man becomes a husband, the woman becomes a wife, the man becomes a father, the woman becomes a mother. And the Bible covers all three of those roles, our singleness, our husband-wife relationship, our father-mother relationship with our children. We want to skip that middle, and we just want to go to a man, to a dad, from a woman to a mother, without ever becoming the husband or the wife. And we're saying, that's okay. That's great. And even to a point now, we even celebrate it. And it should not be celebrated. But we are willing to call right, wrong, and wrong, right. And it hurts us. It hurts us physically and mentally. It scars us on the inside. 
And I want you to hear what the psalmist says in Psalms 119 and I'm sorry, in Psalms 19 and verse 7, in Psalms 19 and verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. God's law is perfect for man. It's perfect for us to live by. There's no mistakes in it. And if I live by it, it will be profitable for me. It will be good for me. But he goes on and he says something. Reviving or restoring the soul. Now the question has to be asked, why does my soul need to be revived? Why does my soul need to be restored? Why does my soul need to be refreshed? And one person even puts it this way, to repair the soul. To speak about repairing the soul means that the soul can be damaged or the soul can be hurt. That which is on the inside can be damaged and hurt so badly that it can cause a dysfunctional person. And oftentimes people can never figure out why are they functioning or behaving the way that they're behaving because they have buried the pain or the hurt, or the denial is so strong that this thing is trying to burst forth to heal itself, to be healed, and we're trying to keep it locked up. He says, repairing the soul. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And the perfectness of the law does really repair the soul once a person adheres to it. It begins to bring a healing to the body. It begins to bring a wellness to the mental, to the mind. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul or repairing whatever damage has been done. And the statues of the Lord are trustworthy. And he says this now, Making wise the simple. Those who may be looked upon as silly, immature, or ignorant, when when God's word takes hold of the heart and the mind, it begins to allow them to become wise. And the simpleness begins to leave us. And that staring that people sometimes will give us when we are speaking or sharing and it's as though we don't know what we're really talking about begins to leave because of the wisdom of God through the word of God that is perfect begins to revive our souls refresh us and repair that which has been damaged that we can speak with wisdom and knowledge towards something And he simply says, yes, the soul does need to be repaired. Now, I want to go into Psalm 62, 1 through 12. And and in Psalm 62, I think it begins to help us to understand how does this take place? And we need to understand that it does take place. 
He says, my soul, in verse 1, my soul finds rest in God alone. Catch that. That's so important to grab hold of. You will not find rest anywhere else but in God alone. And he He gives us that rest. And I will repeat again that we need to understand Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we take on the things of God and we begin to labor for the Lord, he says those things are easy compared to life that you live. The life that you live without God can be tough. It can be hard. It can be brutal. It can destroy you. It can beat you up. It can hurt you. It can scar you for life. And then he says, take my yoke. Some of the time we do talk about that being Jesus Christ himself. To me here, he's talking about when he says, take my yoke. It's something he wants us to do and he ties us to it with that yoke. Like two oxen. God's work and me. Me and God's work. And we're tied together. And he says, boy, that's easy. That's easy. Why? It's his work. And he then enables me. He gives me whatever is necessary to perform and to do his work. That he yokes me to. He assigns me to. And I'm able to perform that. And in it, I find rest. We find rest when we are in the center of God's will, doing what he wants us to do. Somehow, there is rest and peace. And we're happy doing what we're doing. We're joyful doing what we're doing. And he says here in that Psalm 62, 1, my soul finds rest in God alone. And, and catch that, in God alone. Nowhere else do you find rest but in God alone. And we're looking to find rest everywhere else other than in a relationship with God himself. And he says, I find my rest in God alone. And he says in verse 2 then, he says, He alone is my rock. And what he's talking about, a rock that is like a foundation, a solid rock. It's not going to crumble while you're standing on it. It's there. It's permanent. And he says, God alone is my rock or is my foundation. And you find that there. And you find yourself standing there. And then that's the second time he uses the word alone, alone. But then he describes something else about this person of God. He says, he's my salvation. He's my deliverer. 
what is he delivering me from? Now, each one of you have to go through your own life and you have to ask yourself this question. What is it that I need to be delivered from? And all of us need to be delivered from something. It can be delivered from shame, from guilt, delivered from anger. It can be delivered from hopelessness. It can be a deliverance from uncontrollable madness. It can be a deliverance from how I speak. It can be a deliverance of how I perceive and look at people. My perception of people can be totally wrong. And I need this deliverance from that. Because how I perceive people will oftentimes dictate how I will trust people and how I build a relationship with people from my perception of people. And I need to be delivered from a wrong perception. And he's my salvation. He's my deliverance. And he goes on. He said, he's my fortress. Uh, I don't have to protect myself in a sense. God alone will protect me. And that's a difficult one for us. In our culture and the time which we're living, my wife was showing me from one date to another date, there's just about a month, that 360-something people were killed in the United States. Uh, we live in a dangerous world. There's no denying of that. But we have not been called to live in fear. And we want to feel safe and secure. And one of the ways the Lord revives these souls, repair these souls, is by becoming a fortress for us. He becomes the protector for us. And that's what a fortress does. It gives protection from an enemy. And he says, he becomes my fortress. And I like what he says about this fortress and this rock in a sense here. I'll never be shaken. If I stand on the rock and I allow him to be my deliverer and he is my fortress around me, I'll never be shaken. I won't be shaken by the things of men or the things of this world. And he moves along in verse 3. And he says something about this world now. About what the world will do to us in verses 3 and 4. He says, how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? The leaning wall, thus tottering, fence. They fully intend to topple him for his lofty place from his lofty place. They take delight in lies with their mouths. They bless, but their hearts, they curse. And that's people today in many ways. They will smile. They will say, kind words, but it's not from the heart. It's not meant. And that's what the Lord is talking about. There are people who see you in positions that want to pull you out of that office. They want to see you 
removed from that title. They want to see you knocked down a peg, in a sense. And he says, how long will you assault a man? The world will assault you. The world will come after you. The world is out to destroy you. Don't think that it's your friend. Uh, you have to be able to really judge people who are for you and those who are against you. And most of the time, people of this world is against your standards, your principles, and what you really believe in and stand for. And he says, how long will you assault a man? Will all of you throw him down? The world will do all it can to throw you down. The world will do all it can to pull you down from your life with Christ and your relationship with Christ. You need to understand that. If you stand on certain principles and standards of God, the world is going to do all it can to cause you to fall. And it says they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. And oftentimes Christians are looked to be up here or Christians think they're better than everybody else. We don't think we're better than anybody else. That's not the issue. We know who we are. We discovered who we are. We are sinful individuals. As Isaiah says, we are filthy rags. We understand who we are without Jesus Christ. But we understand who we are in Christ. That we are his saints. We are his priests. We are a people who do good deeds in the life of other people. We work on behalf of other people, no matter how they might treat us. We understand that without Jesus Christ, we would be lost. But with Christ, we have a future in heaven. We understand what kind of person we might be without Christ. And we understand who we are in Christ and how we've been humbled. And that we are learning how to live life in a different manner, in a different way than if we were Without Christ in the world, there's no telling what we might be. So we do understand that there's a difference from being in Christ and being out of Christ. And we understand that. And any Christian who really examines himself and really looks at himself and look at his past and that, where would you be if it were not for Christ? He takes away the need of greed he takes away the thing of lustfulness. He takes away that of disrespect of other men or women. And he teaches us how to live with others respectfully and truly loving them and caring for them. And he says they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. People can look right at you and tell you what a nice guy you are, but on the inside, 
wanting to pull you down, want to destroy you, want to see you fall. And he says, they can tell you lies. But if you're in him and you are in this fortress and you're standing on this rock, the promise that God makes us, which allows our souls to rest, is that you will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. He repeats that again in verse 5, what it was said basically in verse 1 and 2. He says, find rest, O my soul. Find rest, O my soul. My soul finds rest in God alone. And he repeats that in that verse 5. Find rest, O my soul. Where at? And God alone. And God alone. It's not going to be in your friends. It's not going to be in a relationship with somebody. It's not going to be about how much money you have. It's not going to be about your title, your positions, where you find peace for your soul. Rest for your soul. The only place you're going to find that is in this relationship that many people are running away from today. And that is in that relationship with Jesus Christ that brings us into a relationship with the one and true God. And he says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. And he adds something just a little bit different than what he does in that verse 1. My hope comes from him. The hope that I have comes from this relationship that I'm in with this living God. That gives me rest. And he comes back and he says in verse 6, he alone is my rock. What he says in verse 2, he alone is my rock. He repeats himself again. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my deliverer. He is my fortress. Boy, again, he's my protection. He repeats himself. And he assures himself again, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Boy. What a delight to know that you do not have to be shaken by the things of this world. And seven, my salvation and my honor. Now, catch that. And let's pause on that just for a moment. It's nice to receive things and awards from men, recognition for what we've accomplished. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But real honor is bestowed. And it's only bestowed by one person. That's God. And he says, my salvation and my honor depends on God. My deliverance and my honor or respect in the light of this thing of humanity or this thing of people is going to be what God gives and grants. How people will see you and honor you and respect you. And he said, all that depends upon God. God is the one who allows people to give you what I will say is true honor and true respect and 
is different from the respect and honor that the world will give because oftentimes, again, if I go back up in to verse 4, he says, With their mouth they bless, but in their hearts they curse. They can, in one sense, bless you and give you honor and give you praise and give you this, but on the inside, there's a curse going on. Uh, saying, you don't deserve it. You shouldn't have it. Uh, there's no way you should have gotten where you are. But they are saying something outwardly, but on the inside is the truth that is being spoken that oftentimes we don't hear. And he says, God is the one who gives honor. God is the one who really raises us up and we are respected. God does that. And it's when we're walking with him, serving him, that somehow even our enemies, he brings them to a point to highly, highly respect us and hear us. And he says, he is my mighty rock and my refuge. No matter what's happening to me, God is my fortress. He's my refuge. He's my deliverer. He's the one who repairs my soul. He is the one that is doing this work in us, that the soul might rest. And the soul is recognizing it has to rest in God. Now, he's going to bring out these two important factors that I think sometimes is overlooked. And we have to come to a place to really wrestle with this. And one is really that point of really being truthful with ourselves, Because he says in that verse 8, trust in him. Not some of the time, not part of the time, not most of the time. But he says all the time. All the time I'm trusting God. In other words, I'm trusting God in everything. I'm trusting God for my next step. I'm trusting God for my next breath. I'm trusting God to get me through this moment at work that is a trying moment. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God to give me the right words to speak and to share with this individual who I'm speaking to. And that I would speak truth to him and speak the truth in love. I'm trusting God in my marriage. I'm trusting him to keep me faithful to my wife and trusting him to keep my wife faithful to me. Uh, I'm trusting him to keep us both close to him, to himself. I'm trusting him to hold tightly to my children and my grandchildren. I'm trusting him. And, and it's that area of really being honest with ourselves. Are we really trusting him? Am I trusting him for a husband? Am I trusting him for a wife? Am I trusting him to provide for me? See, that's, that's honesty that has to be portrayed in the life of a Christian. If not, what it shows is that you are doing everything on your own to try to make it. And therefore, nothing really goes to God in prayer until it hits crisis mode. And only when the crisis show up 
do we begin to trust God? And what it proves is this. We have not been resting in him. We have not found rest in him for everyday life, for every moment of the day that we're resting in him. We're worried about this. We're fretting, we're fretting about this and that thing. And, and we're, we're all upset about this thing didn't go right. No. We're trusting God. We're trusting God. And he says, trust in him at all times. That's the first thing that really has to begin to take place. That we really learn to trust him. And if we don't, we find ourselves constantly up and down in a whole area of just trouble. And we need to understand, we have to trust him. So go over to Proverbs chapter 3 and look at verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Boy, that is a learning experience. I'm learning to trust him. When Peter stepped out of the boat, that was a learning experience. When Peter was locked up in prison and, and God uh, sent the angels to unlock the doors and the doors just flew, that was a learning experience to trust God. Paul was a learning experience. Go over to Ananias and he will uh, bring healing to those eyes that your eyes would be open. That was a learning experience for Paul about God. We are learning about our God. How to trust him. And he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he gives us that second part there in Proverbs. Lean not on your own understanding. And where do we always fall back to? Our own understanding. And our own understanding only leads us to do it wrongly. To do it our way rather than his way. And whether people have to come to that point of trusting him. That's the first thing. If your soul's going to rest in God, you have to learn how to trust him. He'll be your fortress. He'll be your salvation. He'll be your deliverance from whatever you may go through. He will put you on a rock, on a solid foundation where you won't be shaken. He'll do that. And you don't have to worry about the people who lie on you and people who curse you and, and people are trying to pull you down. You won't be focused on those things. Why? You're trusting in him. Now, the second thing we have to learn how to do is something that has to be undone in us. We have learned how in this culture, in this society, to be very secretive, even in church life. We're very, very careful of how much we share. So we can't really share honest prayer requests because if we say that our children need prayer and our children are in this situation or that situation, people are going to think ill of me or think that I was not a good parent. People are going to think something different about me and see me differently. If I give an honest thing that is a sincere prayer that me and my wife are struggling. That doesn't mean we're ready to get a divorce. We're struggling. 
And we need prayer. We need wisdom. We need guidance. That's just an honest statement. We're struggling. But we can't say that. Today we have this little saying, everybody has it, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And sometime I need to say, I need help. I need help. Because the moment you say, I'm blessed, most people won't take time to pray for you. Everything is fine. Everything is okay. Everything is wonderful. I'm blessed. But if you really tell a brother or sister in the Lord, I'm hurting. I'm ready to just break down and cry. I'm I'm just ready to run away from home. I just need a time out. Uh, I need to get away. <laughs> Being truthful and talking about it. That's hard. In church, testimony time, a lot of it is done in, in such protective mode. I can't speak real truth because of how other people are going to look upon me or how other people are going to gossip about me. Let me share something about that for a moment. If people talk about you and God tells us not to gossip, then that's on them, not on you. But you're so scared that somebody's going to gossip about your situation that you won't share and really ask for earnest prayer. And we have so many unspoken prayer requests. Uh, I don't know if we really find that in the Bible, unspoken prayer requests. But to... Ask for prayer to confess your faults one to another or to share those faults one with another that people can earnestly pray. Now, I do have to admit, part of this has been the fault of Christianity or Christians or, or, or the saints, brothers and sisters. We love to hear gossip sometimes. And sometimes we need to stop a person from gossiping. We need to stop a person from sharing something about somebody else that you may need to say, I really don't need to know that part of it. Listen to what God says is the second thing for us to do, and yet so hard to do for us. And we have this other part that makes it difficult. God already knows everything. He does. But he wants to hear it from you. Listen to what he says. Oh, people, pour out your hearts to him. Do what? Pour out your heart. We haven't practiced that. We don't really practice pouring out our hearts to one another. And I understand sometimes it can get very deep and you can hear so much negative and it kind of turns you off. You can hear so much of somebody else's problems that after a while you just can't take anymore. I understand that. But part of that is because we have not been taught to really listen with a loving heart. And when a person knows that you are truly interested in them, they will be able to share in a different way 
than just negativeness about somebody else. But really how they want to see this thing come to an end. What their real desire in this situation or crisis might be. And it won't be so much about the other person. The, the issue will be how do we get back to where we should be? It won't be all this blame stuff, all this dirty stuff about what he did, she did. How do we solve this? Because that's the real question that many people are trying to get to. How do I solve it? How do I solve this pain in me? How do I solve this hurt in me? How do I solve this anger in me? How do I get over this situation? And he says, Oh, people, pour out your hearts. Until we become a people again who can really pour out our hearts. And I'm not saying just go out in the street and just start babbling and pouring your heart out to the first person that you meet out on the street. But there has to be some people in the church that you can really talk to. And even after you're done talking with them, it's like it's been erased. It doesn't go any further. It just stops there. And because we don't practice pouring that out, we find ourselves not doing that even with God. Because we're not a people who practice opening up and being truthful and honest and pouring out our hearts to him. And it says, when you pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge, there's a protection there. And that's the way it should be among us, that when a person pour out their heart to us, there should be a protection there for them, that this doesn't go any further. Nothing else is said about it. It stops here. And it allows the person to have the freedom to just really pour their soul out and really talk about it and try to get to a point of solution to see this thing come to an end or to see this thing turn and become better. He says those two things have to happen. If the soul's going to find rest, you have to trust at all times in God. And you have to be willing to pour out your hearts to him. Yes, he knows everything about you. There's nothing that is a secret. But it does us good when we allow ourselves to honestly speak to him and pour out our fears, our anger our frustrations, our hopes, our desires, our dreams to him. Pour out your heart. Then he moves on and he says in that verse 9, Low-born men are but a breath. The neighbor, the high-born, are but a lie. The low-born, the high-born, the rich, 
the poor, the intellectual, the non-intellectual, the genius, the simple-minded. He said, if you put them all together, come out to nothing. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. The high-born, they might live this way and that way. A lot of times, that is pretense. Trying to be something more than what we are is nothing but a lie. We all were born the same way, and guess what? We're going to be, we're all going to die the same way. We came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave this world with nothing. Every one of us. And he says, together, they are only a breath. Whether you're poor, rich, intelligent, simple-minded, whatever. If you don't take the next breath, you're gone. The rich and the poor have this in common. We all die. We all die. And he says, you put us all together, we're nothing. Then he's trying to bring out this thing that oftentimes we want to make more of ourselves than what we really are. And we need to understand Positions in life are back here where he says in verse 7, my salvation and my honor depends on who? On God. On God. I can have the highest degrees there are and be despised by men and not be respected. I can be doctor so-and-so but have no respect. I can be judge so-and-so and have very little respect and honor. And he says here, that comes from God. Whatever these individuals are going to be, will be what God desires, not what man desires. And he says, now, do not trust an ex source In extortion. Don't, don't trust in extortion. Don't trust in it. And I need to understand that does not bring me any honor or respects. Don't trust in extortion and robbing and stealing and the things that will really bring you down, though you may think they will pick you up. They won't. And he tells us in that next verse, but take pride in stolen goods. It doesn't help. If you got something through deception, it really doesn't help you. It doesn't help. And he goes on, he says, take pride in stolen goods through your riches increase. Do not set your heart on them. It doesn't help. 
Don't put your heart there. If a man was to gain the whole world, what has he gained? If he loses his soul, what has he gained? And if you don't find any rest for your soul through all this, what have you gained? Now, in his closing remarks, he's going to speak a truth in verse 11 and 12. In verse 10, he tells us what not to trust in. Don't trust in extortion. Don't trust in pride. Don't trust in stolen goods. Don't trust in riches or increases in wealth. Don't trust in these things. All those things are of the world. And he says, don't trust in them. But then in verse 11 and 12, he says, know this for sure. This is a certainty. He says, one thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. That you, O God, are strong. Catch that. God has spoken. And Lord, you are strong. God has spoken. Has not he done it? If God speaks it, he also performs it. One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. That you, O oh God, are strong. He's strong. Whatever he has spoken, he is more than capable of performing it. He's more than capable of doing it. He is strong. Who's going to withhold his hand? Who's going to keep him from bringing it to pass? No one. God, you've spoken it. God, you're strong enough to do it. And here comes this second thing now. God has spoken, and God is strong enough that whatever he has spoken, he is strong enough to perform it and do it. Second thing, he says, Surely, and that you, O Lord, are loving, surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Boy, Lord, you are loving. And how you demonstrate your love, Lord, to us is that you reward us by what we have done. You really do reward us even now. Some friends of mine, we have this ongoing joke that we have uh, about getting their rewards in heaven. But as they look at their life, right here on earth. They know they've been well rewarded now here on earth. They know that. And they know that reward has come from God. They know they've been blessed tremendously by God. And that he has spoken and he's strong enough to carry out. That's one. Number two, he is loving and he gives rewards to those 
who live according to what he himself has spoken and has done. Oh, our God. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Surely you will do that. God is not a debtor to any of us. He will reward you for the type of life that you live. He will reward you for your love towards him. Are you rich? Are you richly in love with him? Are you rich because of his love? See, this song brings us to a place of rest. How? By trusting him at all times. By learning how to pour our hearts to him. Knowing that he has spoken and he's strong enough to carry it out. And that God really loves me. And he will reward me according to how I have lived and the things I have done. And in that the soul can rest. My soul only finds rest in who? In God alone. Are you finding rest in God alone? Is your hope in God alone? Or is it somewhere else? I hope that you will allow yourself to be honest with yourself and truly ask yourself, is there something that needs to be repaired in me? Does my soul need to be refreshed, renewed, restored? Am I truly trusting God? Do I believe that he has spoken, that he's strong enough to carry it out? Or is it just some words being babbling, but there's nothing behind it and there's no way that this can happen? Or do I really believe God has spoken and he's strong enough to carry it out? And do I really believe that God loves me? And because he loves me, and because how I live, He's willing to reward me in this life and also in the life to come. I hope you truly take time and go through Psalms 62 and ask yourself, are you really resting in God alone and not in the things of this world? Not in friendships, and it's nice to have friendships. It's nice to have people around you that you can trust. But is your absolute trust really in the relationship that you're having with a living God? Well, our time is up. And I want to say thank you once again for the privilege that you give me in lending me your ear. I do not take it lightly. 
that if you sit down here for an hour with me and you go through this, that I'm not mindful that you have a choice. You could be listening or doing a number of other things. But my prayer is that if you take time to listen and to hear, that somehow the Holy Spirit will transcend the voice of Gus Brown and speak to you. He's more than able. And I pray that somehow what you hear is profitable to you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're the one, Lord, who stands behind your word. And you're the only one, Lord, who is strong enough to bring it to pass in the lives of people. Would you, O oh God, give some soul rest in thee this day? Would somebody ask you to be the God of all comfort in their life and to remove all the weariness and frustration and depression? Would you, O oh God, set people free and would you become their fortress around them? Deliver them, Lord, from whatever struggles they have in life. Father, may their souls find healing and restoration in you and you alone. Do the work that only a living God is able to perform. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hoping to see you again next week. God bless.